again, and welcome to Bee Boomer Unleashed, episode 130, Just Good News, journal entry 27. I'm Jerry Lake, the Unleashed Baby Boomer, and I'll be your host for today's episode and all the episodes of Bee Boomer Unleashed. Before we get into today's episode, let me remind you, as always, where you can find our podcast. You can find us at beeboomerunleashed.podbean.com. You can also find us on iTunes, Google Play, iHeartRadio, Facebook, Spotify, Instagram, and Twitter. Just type in Be Boomer Unleashed, and uh, we should pop up there somewhere. If you can't uh, find us on one of those formats, just Google Be Boomer Unleashed, and we'll show up somewhere where you listen to podcasts. And as always, we encourage you to drop us an email at beboomerunleashed at gmail.com with your comments, criticisms, questions, and suggestions for future episodes. And if you'd like to be a guest on the Bee Boomer Unleashed podcast or know someone who should be a guest, then uh, drop us a line. We'll do our best to get them on the show. Well, today's episode, Just Good News, journal entry number 27, we uh, read chapter 5 of Carrie Schmidt's book, uh, What Most Religions Don't Tell You About the Bible. Done. Done. What Most Religions Don't Tell You About the Bible. And today, Chapter 5 talks about God's only accepted method of payment. One payment that God accepts, and Brother Kerry is going to talk about that today. Don't forget, you can get his book at www.strivingtogether.com or on Amazon.com. Just type in Done, D-O-N-E, and that book will come up. I encourage you to order lots of copies and give them to your friends who might be in search of a relationship with Jesus. So without further ado, let's move on to chapter 5. God's Only Accepted Method of Payment I have a Discover card that I use on rare occasions for Christmas shopping, family vacations, or for something I want or need. Imagine if I threw caution to the wind and recklessly charged $5,000 worth of purchases on that card. A month later, the statement arrives in my mailbox describing my charges and explaining my payment options. Rather than pay the debt, let's imagine that I call customer service and explain that, you know, I didn't mean to make these charges, that I'm really sorry for making them, and I will try to do better in the future. Will that pay my debt? Well, of course not. Wouldn't that be nice, though? All right, let's try another angle. What if I call customer service and beg and plead for them to forgive my debt? That should take care of it, right? I don't think so. Well, these Discover Card people sure are narrow-minded and legalistic, aren't they? Surely they should be more merciful and forgiving. Surely they aren't being fair. Friend, my thinking is obviously flawed. It's not that the Discover Card people aren't merciful or patient or kind. It's that they are just and right to expect fair payment for my charges. I've spoken with many people who say to me, well, I ask God to forgive me my sin every night before I go to bed. Others have said, I confess my sin regularly to a priest or to God. Still others have said, I pay for my sin by doing good. Friend, the fact is, God doesn't arbitrarily forgive sin or erase sin's consequences any more than Discover Card would arbitrarily erase my debt just because I asked them to. No, Discover Card has determined a method of payment. Apart from that method of payment, nothing, nothing else will erase my debt on that card. This is not unfair or unjust. 
Quite the contrary. It's reasonable. It's just and right. I can't send them an apology note, a Thanksgiving food basket, or even a Walmart gift card. I must send them one form of payment, money. This is the established standard and practice of the Discover Card Company. I don't argue it. I just accept and deal with their set standard. In much the same way, God has established a payment for sin. Yes, sin must be paid for. Why? Because God is just and good. A good God would never let something as horrible as sin run rampant in time and eternity forever. No, a good God would deal with sin once and for all so that we could ultimately be freed from it for all eternity. You see, God's goodness requires that he take action against something so destructive as sin. So long before you and I were ever born, long before the world was created, God determined a penalty, a payment for sin. It is not negotiable. It is just and fair. And yes, it is even good in light of the terrible power and destruction that comes with sin. What is the penalty? God says in Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death. Death seems like a high payment, right? Sounds pretty bad. Well, let's take a second look. Why would a good God let sin live? That would be infinitely worse than our United States justice system allowing murder and mayhem. If our justice system accepted such atrocities, it would no longer be a good system. Even so, if God were to allow sin and evil to continue for eternity, he wouldn't be a good God. No, His goodness requires that he take action. His justice requires payment. And long before you or I came along, God determined that there was only one payment for sin. There was only one acceptable solution for something so deadly and destructive. Death. Sin must die. Death must die. These things that are so evil and destructive must face the only just end, the only acceptable outcome, They must be locked away in a final prison. Sin is so bad that God has determined once and for all, sin must die. Do you recognize God's goodness and love as displayed through this death sentence? He refuses to allow that which is harmful to plague us forever. He loves us too much. His goodness is too good. He cannot allow sin to go on destroying the world. Imagine that there was a murderer living in your block. This murderer kills at will and has no preferences with his victims. He kills men, women, and children with no warning and absolutely no remorse. Imagine that you know who he is and you've called the police only to find out they already know who the killer is. Imagine that they've decided to let him continue killing. No penalty, no prosecution, no justice. Imagine that the police investigators tell you, we've decided just to be good on this one. A loving police department would never send anyone to prison. You'd be outraged. You'd do whatever it took to make sure this man received justice and to restore peace and safety in your community. Have you ever heard someone say, well, I just can't believe a loving God would create hell, or I don't believe a loving God would ever judge sin? Friend, how could a loving God not do something about all the terrible things that exist in life? 
How could a loving God allow sin to go free and not take action? He can't. He won't. The Bible teaches very clearly that when time comes to an end, God will bring a final judgment on sin and death. He will demand final payment, and He only accepts one form of payment for sin. Death. In fact, God has created a final prison for sin and death, a final resting place. It's called the lake of fire. Revelation 20, verse 14, speaks of this final judgment. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. Friend, this is not mean, unjust, or unfair. It's a good thing that God will send sin and death to an eternal resting place. Now, here's where it gets hard to accept. Let me remind you again, we're not looking for man's opinion here. We're seeking God's stated truth. We're trying to understand His terms. The Bible is clear in Matthew 25, 41, that God didn't originally create hell for men. It was intended for the devil and his angels. Then shall he say also unto them on the left hand, Depart from me, ye cursed into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. God's original intent after passing final judgment on the devil and sin was to bring men into an eternal loving relationship with him. His plan is born out of a loving heart and a good nature. He is perfect, perfectly loving, perfectly good, but also perfectly just. Because God's justice system demands payment for sin, death, and because I was born defective with sin flowing in my spiritual blood veins, I now have a very serious predicament. As a sinner, I have a sin debt that must be paid. There is a minimum wage for my sin, a law in God's justice that demands payment. Sin now stands between me and God. While God loves me, he hates sin. If he didn't hate sin, he wouldn't love me. It's like saying, if your loved one has cancer, you can't love your relative and love the cancer at the same time. If you love your relative, you would hate the cancer and desire to remove it if possible. If you love the cancer, you would make yourself an enemy to your relative. That's exactly what the Bible means when it says the carnal mind is enmity against God. That's in Romans 8, 7. Whether or not you feel warm and fuzzy about God, though he loves you very much, your sin makes you his enemy. Ouch, that hurts. Maybe that's a tough pill to swallow, but it's exactly the message of the Bible. No wonder I can't earn my way or do good things to gain God's approval. Sin stands in the way. Like a giant canyon dividing me from that God intended. In short, my sin condemns me in the sight of God. Now don't get me wrong. This doesn't mean that God doesn't love me. We'll get to that in a moment. It simply means that if something miraculous doesn't happen, if God doesn't find a way to intervene, I'm doomed. Though God loves me, he cannot allow sin into heaven. He cannot allow sin to live, and since I have sin in me, I'm marked for death. He doesn't want me to spend one second apart from him in hell. This was never his intention, but that's what will happen if a miracle doesn't occur. My sin must be paid for. That's God's law. My sin must die. 
That's God's goodness. It's like saying cancer must be cured. Well, what is the cure? Well, we know it isn't being good. No matter who or how good or religious I am, I still have sin in me. Remember, it's not a behavior problem. It's a being problem. Being good does not pay for sin. Only one thing pays for sin. Death. Death is the only viable option for something so horrific. So if I stand before God with sin recorded against my name, if I face him as a sinner, there's only one final destination for me according to his own words. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them. And they were all judged, every man according to their works, and death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. Revelation 20, verses 13 14. But the fearful and unbelieving and the abominable and murderers and whoremongers and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. That's Revelation 21, 8. Yes, the lake of fire, according to the Bible, is a real place, a terrible place, and men do end up there because of their sins. It's not God's desire. It's not what he wants for you. But it's the final resting place of sin. Apart from a miracle, all who sin are headed there because God is too good to let sin live. Twice in these verses, God refers to a second death. In other words, we all die once. Then we stand before God where it is determined whether we live on forever with God or whether we die a second time. The second death is eternal separation from God in the lake of fire. It is final, unchangeable. It is not where God wants us to spend eternity, but it is the only payment for sin. God calls it being condemned. In Romans 5.18, he says, Therefore, as by the offense of one judgment came upon all men to condemnation. Friend, because of our sin, we stand condemned before God. We're all guilty. Therefore, thou art inexcusable, Romans 2.1. We are literally without excuse. Our sin debt must be paid. No ifs, ands, and buts. Sin must die. Because God is good, because God is just, because God is love, he must put to death every bad thing. Yet because God loves me, he doesn't want me to face this curse. Since I'm born into sin, I'm a condemned man no matter how good I've been. Pretty terrible predicament we're in, isn't it? Yes, there is a minimum wage law. Yes, there is a second death. Yes, unless God miraculously intervenes, you and I will face that second death. We can't jump to the moon. We can't keep God's perfect standard. It's impossible. We have changed, we have charged a debt that we cannot pay, and there's only one form of payment accepted. But there is a very important three-letter word that makes all the difference. But. Romans 6.23 For the wages of sin is death, but... And a miracle did happen. And we'll talk about that next week. In chapter 6. Well, I hope you've enjoyed chapter 5 of Done Today by Carrie Schmidt. 
And uh, next week we're going to talk about, uh, you know, that but. He talks about the wages of sin is death, but. So what happens after the but? Well, thanks again for being with us today. We uh, really enjoy you joining us today. Once again, I encourage you to buy multiple copies of this little book, Done, and give it to those who you feel might be searching for a relationship with Jesus Christ. Well, I hope you'll join us again for the next episode of Be Boomer Unleashed. But until then, have a great week, and may God bless each and every one of you. Goodbye.